I was, I usually get pretty nervous for this type of stuff, right? Like I don't like public speaking, but I will say, thinking about this, I think the nostalgia kind of trumps the, the nerves because, yeah, like you said, I kind of, I grew up here basically. I still remember when this place was an electronic store um, back in early 2000s and I was running around a little, little kid. So uh, very, very cool to be here. Very excited, but I think I'm more excited to open um, God's word with you guys and, and just super pumped to, to continue along with with just your journey through Philippians, through the amazing um, just book of Paul that he writes for us, who uh, we had a, I've, I've been in Philippians a lot this year. We, we did that for Salt Company. We, we went through Philippians um, in our summer series, and I got to preach twice then, and then a couple weeks ago, I got to do it again up in Dubuque Salt Company. So I've spent a lot of time in Philippians, and it's so fun, because it's just, he's so practical, right? He's so like, right to the point, but isn't some people, aren't you like, sometimes you're like, oh yeah, sweet, you know, conviction, love this, Paul, I feel really fired up, on the other side, you're also like, hey man, chill out, you know, like, nah, I don't want to die, like, I don't want to go and see heaven and Christ right now, I'd rather stay here and just hang out and enjoy life, and I think tonight, our ex- and there's no exception in, in, our, in our verses tonight in, in chapter 3, um, so like I said, we'll be in Philippians 3, 1 through 11. You can turn there now, and, and I'm going to meet you there. But um, like I was saying, such practical advice for us uh, in this book of Philippians. Um, and I don't usually title my sermons, um, but I, I, I felt like this one was fitting for it. And I think what we're going to see within these verses um, is Paul is kind of calling us to, to do something here. He's kind of charging us as, as he usually likes to do. Um, and, and, and our title tonight is Christ in Everything. I think he's trying to charge us to see Christ in everything. And what does that mean to, to see Christ in, in everything? Um, how do we, in this day and age, actually see Christ in our everyday life, right? Is that what Paul is saying, like, right? Like, how do we see Christ in the food we eat, the drinks we drink, the, the people we talk to, on the phones we have? Well, hopefully through Paul's awesome words, we can come to a pretty solid conclusion. So I'm going to try to piece this out a little bit. So I'm going to start in Philippians 3, 1, um, just, just the first verse, and um, we're going we're gonna to read that together. So follow along with me. Finally, br- my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So right off the bat, like I was saying, Paul is calling us to do something. And tonight, I think I'm going to try something. I'm, I'm trying something new. I'm usually, you guys are probably used to the three-point sermon. Well, tonight I'm doing five. So buckle in, get ready. Five-point sermon. Here we go. Five ways to seek Christ is, is the kind of the big idea of tonight. And like I said, in the first verse, we see that Paul is calling us to rejoice in the Lord. And what is the context of Paul saying this? You probably have heard this before and, and have gone over the context of the Philippians. Well, well, he's in Rome, he's imprisoned, and he's writing to them uh, with a lot of encouragement and love, right? This is one of the more encouraging and affectionate uh, letters we see of Paul um, because he really truly loved the Philippians and was very thankful for them. So with that, we get our first point of the night. Paul in Rome in prison our first way to see Christ is in suffering, in suffering. And with the backdrop of shackles, a prison cell, and, and, and no freedom, Paul 
It's calling us to have joy, to rejoice in the Lord. Right? Paul is the poster child for joy and suffering. I think you've seen that over the course of the last couple chapters, right? For regardless of his situation, he chose to find the silver lining. But doesn't that kind of not sound appealing, right? Like, almost as if Paul is calling us to more suffering because of the joy that is to be found in it. Like, I don't want that. I don't want more suffering in my life. I think that for most of us, we have that same desire. In life, we tirelessly try to avoid suffering, to steer clear of the bad things so that we can have a more fulfilling and fun life. But here's the hard truth. If you are in Christ, if you have proclaimed Christ as your Savior, suffering will come. It's inevitable. It will come in any shape or form, and I don't really need to spend too much time, but we can see it so clearly in our day and age. And you can see it all around us, right? Globally, nationally, locally, look at the Israel war right going on right now. Look at the, our divided country when it comes to politics and, and, the, and the, yeah, the, yeah, all that stuff. I don't even want to get into it. But, and then look at, look at around you, right, locally, what's going on in your own life. And isn't this so hard to understand? Why would God give us suffering if we believe and have put our faith into someone who has conquered death and has given us eternal life? I believe, though, hard and most of the time not fully understandable. God has given us suffering so that we can see him more clearly through his son Christ. To know that actually we can't do anything to avoid it, right? The suffering. Because this is a broken, evil world that wants nothing more than to break you down. But we, those who are in Christ, have such a higher hope and calling that there is something better out there. There's someone better out there. And his name is Jesus. We actually do have a king. Someone who suffered like us, yet without sin and conquered death so that we may have a relationship with him. And so that the sufferings of this world cannot touch us. Though fickle and weak humans we are, praise the Lord for the strength we are given through his death and resurrection. Amen? And suffering in a world that wants to imprison you, in the death around you, the unstableness around you, the only light there is is Christ. And that's what Paul is telling us to do. He is the one we must seek in our suffering. Because joy found anywhere else will be shallow and unfulfilling. And why is Paul telling us to do this? Well, because our Lord, our King, our Savior has suffered for us, like I said. He has suffered to the point of death. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We have been suffered for, and we have been bought with blood for, so the call to see Christ in suffering should come with no surprise, because we have every right to rejoice, because we are loved by someone who has been through more than anything we could ever go through. And we're going right into it, the first point, right, in, in suffering. So that's the first way we see Christ, point number one, in suffering. Let's read verse two for the, first, the second way we can see Christ. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So pretty, pretty wild turn. 
Um, dogs, evildoers, mutilate the flesh. Kind of spooky, right? We're in October, Halloween time. Kind of spooky, right? But what does Paul mean by these kind of certain descriptions of, of people? Well, I think this verse can be summarized by the words look out, right? Right at the beginning. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is giving specific warnings with about certain groups who seem to have been troubling the Philippian Christians. That these three groups of people can be defined and described as false teachers. Like a wild pack of scavenging dogs, these people are looking for their own interests. They're not truly part of the family of faith, but are seeking to take whatever they can from others. These false teachers are not only seeking to promote their own way of life, but also trying to lead others astray from the faith. And I heard it described like this, um, a dog licks with a tongue, a person flatters others with the tongue. So a dog is a person who flatters others by speaking great swelling words of emptiness in order to lead them astray. So the Philippians were being tempted, being led astray by words of deceit and promises that were unfulfilling and not true. And this is where we get our second point of the night. The second way we can seek Christ is in persecution. In persecution, we can see Christ. And when I say persecution, it can kind of seem outdated or, or, or even confusing because I, I definitely feel like persecution is, is a biblical term, right? Like it was used more abundantly and more maybe in regards to, to greater things back then. But it, it still so relates to us today, right? Persecution is all around us. It just may take different forms than what maybe Paul experienced. But we see this, right? We see this all around us. This is why we fear being bold and sharing our faith because of the threat of being made fun of or being disregarded or even worse, yelled at. Last week I heard the story of, um, so at Salt Company we have C groups, it's connection groups, and every C group has a leader or a couple leaders, and every leader then has a D group, discipleship group, and those are usually led by community members or people in the church. And um, last week I heard the story of a, a D group um, who got yelled at and also spit at for talking about Jesus um, at, a, at a local coffee shop. Um, and so, so clearly we can see this. And yes, I know this is probably very few and far between that this happens, but I still believe persecution can take many different forms, such as temptation and attempts to lead astray like we see with these dogs and evildoers, right? We live in a, full, we live in a world full of distractions that want nothing more than to to your full attention it wants to give you it wants you to give into your desires to seek the things that are not of god to even swap places with god this is what we're dealing with daily right yes we live in america where we can speak freely about our our faith and and we can you know talk freely about anything we need but this is continuously being threatened right our faith is regarded in the media as hateful as ignorant homophobic, transphobic, hurtful, heartless, whatever you can slap on there, we have been called, and the Bible promises us that persecution will come for what we believe, right? Because our faith is upside down for what the world wants. So if we're going to experience persecution, how do we look to Christ within it? Well, John 15, 18 lays it out clearly for us. It says this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Just like the previous point, we can look to Christ because Christ was persecuted for our sake and on our behalf. 
He was persecuted even to the point of public humiliation on a cross. In Roman times, the, the, the cross was the most cursed and embarrassing way of dying because it was publicly revealing and, and broadcasted. And um, I, was a, I was actually able to go into Israel, to Israel uh, earlier this year in April. I would encourage anybody to go do that. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing trip. But um, there's even speculation on where Christ was, was crucified. And there's this church called the Church of Holy Sepulchre, and it's just this massive, amazing church with just amazing, like, decorations and stuff like that. But they claim it was there, right? But it's almost like unsettling walking in there because of the a blatant idolatry that just takes place and people are just falling into because they just thought of one place and they slapped a church on it, and that's what they call it. But then we went and followed that with the garden tomb, right? And then... They gave us like a more of a biblical historical sense of where Jesus might have actually been crucified. And it was in a local place right outside the, the city walls. And um, it, was, it was really truly amazing to be there just to see like maybe where Jesus was crucified and, and, and raising, risen. But even then, like even in that midst of like confusion, right? Isn't it so apparent just the confusion and the the distraction that our world wants us in right to even distract us from where our our savior was 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 killed but ultimately historically those places show us that he was persecuted for for he who he was claiming to be right he we will be persecuted for who we claim to follow he jesus who died for us who brings life to the full in hope for suffering and persecution. We follow someone who not only paved the way to have a relationship with the Father, but also paved the way by giving us a clear example on how to suffer and be persecuted well. He was loved, and he showed that no matter the circumstance, we must be bold and not cower, and we must seek out those who are lost and share this hope with them, right? Even knowing that you may walk into a snare of, of persecution or suffering, but we can walk with our head held high and joyful into persecution, knowing that Christ will bring us through it and his name will be glorified more because of it. So, in suffering and in persecution, we can see Christ. Let's uh, look to the next couple uh, verses um, to see what other way we can see Christ. And so, follow along with me in, in verses 3 through 6. It says this. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here we go. Paul's laying out his laundry list of accomplishments. So he's clearly boasting here, right? It seems a little unsettling to hear somebody just in the Bible boast about what they are. But it's, I think it's important because he's taking his time to kind of lay out who he is, right, in the world sense. And obviously, if you read this before, you know what follows these verses, right? Um, but I think it's good to kind of take a second and pull over with these couple of verses and, and just kind of see what Paul is getting at here. 
And so why is Paul taking the time to, to lay out his assets, to, to establish who he truly is, to boast about his accolades and achievements? Well, Paul had per- perfect credentials, right, in, in his time. He was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance to Old Testament law. He was an ethnic Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. If anyone could be said to be blameless, to be following the law, it was Paul. But he begins the section with saying we have no confidence in the flesh because we worship by the Spirit of God and in glory in Christ Jesus. So this is a stark reminder, right, to remember who we are and where we also get our third point. The third way we can see Christ is in who we are. In who we are, we can see Christ. Paul is describing to us who he is, right? What defines him. And don't we do this so well? When somebody asks you who you are, what do you respond with first? Usually, you think job or status or, or even major if you're in college. I can't imagine, like, the typical college response and, and the questions revolve around the, the three big questions, right? The, where are you from, what major are you, and what dorm are you in? I can't, I can't even begin to count how many times I've asked college students that question, those questions. But this whole world is about identity. We are constantly being persuaded to give our allegiance to certain things, right? This college age you're in is such a formative year and time in your life because now you're basically free to do whatever you want, right? You're not living under your your parents' roof, hopefully. If you are, it's totally fine. I respect it. But this time is kind of when you get the time to explore what you want, right? These different marks of identity are enticing and, and, and almost fun and also can be such a gift to explore, right? But truly, they are not who you are. We can see in verse 3 that we are actually those who worship and glorify Christ. If you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, your allegiance is to him and nothing else in this world. We are identified by the one who loves us and who has died for us. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have hobbies. Have them, have as many as you want. God has given us abilities to use and to ultimately worship him more through it. But we must remember first who we are in Christ. And this is pretty apparent and like applicable right now to me because tomorrow night I have the opportunity to speak at this freshman event we're doing um, on campus and we're literally talking about this this kind of idea of identity right um, and I've been kind of sort of struggling with like how do I just relate that to college students right like how do I relate that to specifically college freshmen who probably don't care what I'm saying at all right and I had this cool like maybe thought of application like you guys ever do like, you know, have accounts or passwords or, you know, you sign up for things, you have probably different accounts and logins for certain things and usernames and, and you have one username for your school or for work or for different streamings or medias and stuff like that. So you just have these different passwords and usernames that just add up, right? And isn't that so applicable to our life, right? That we have so many things that we can identify ourselves with that we can switch from this to that to this, you know, all this kind of mirage and like just mess of of identity right and I think that that is so applicable to what we do in life right like what we try to slap our name into right but we must we must remember right what it actually means to be a follower and believer of Christ right for we were fearfully and wonderfully made as it said in Psalm carefully crafted and designed by our loving father this world's promises 
of identity are vast, yet so shallow. They are expansive, yet without hope and without fulfillment. And as we see in Galatians 4, in Christ we are called sons and daughters. We are adopted. We are in a family. And so I know there's like no cards for Christians that identify you as sons of God or daughters of God with full access to the Father. But it might be a good reminder for some if we had them. It is a tremendous blessing to approach the throne of God in prayer and worship. Too often, however, we forget the clearance we have. His steadfast love for us meant the giving up of his life, a life lived in perfect obedience to God's law so that we would not experience eternal separation but have everlasting fellowship with him. So the next time you enter in a password or flash an ID card, Practical advice right here. Think of the gift you have been given. Full access to the God, the Father, ruler over all things, right? And this is what Paul is wanting us to remember. This is why he pulls over and kind of talks about his accolades and achievements. You are not what you do. You are not what you have or what you accomplish. We are Christ, and he will never let us go. And that is such a sweet reminder to remember every single day. So let's continue on. Uh, verses 7 through 8 next. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, nor that I might gain Christ. And we'll stop there. So here they are, the famous verses, right? The, the everyone knows and they're you know, always talked about and about Paul calling everything here as equivalent as species, right? So cool. So such a cool picture, right? Um, so, but I, I think these last two ver- uh, points kind of tie well into each other. And so for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you the, the, the fourth one. Um, and so as the last point was about who we are, right? This point about life, this point is about life and the purpose of life. So buckle in, I'm going to tell you about the purpose of life. Fourth way we can seek Christ is in life. In our lives, we can seek Christ. That's the fourth way we can seek Christ. And what we see is that Paul's account of, accounting of who he is has changed completely. What formerly went into the gain column, his power, his prestige, and his obedience, now goes in a loss column. It's such crazy and vivid imagery to establish his feelings, to show his actual disgust and distaste for the things of this world. But this seems, this seems kind of pretty hard to do, right? I think, I like to think and justify that, of course, Paul has every right to do and say this because he was the one who was in the first century and he was trapped in prison. He didn't really have as much as I did or I do. Like, he doesn't have a phone that connects me to everyone I need. He doesn't have the job I have. He doesn't have the car I have or the money I have or the house and friends I have. Yeah, count things as losses. That's, that's for him, but of course he would want that with the situation it's in. But for me, I'm good. No way. And obviously this is just me trying to justify what I have and doing what I do. But isn't that true of you? Have you exchanged your assets for Christ? Have you, are you trusting in the kind of goodness that will never be accepted by God? Are you putting things in the place of God? Full warning, newsflash, it's, it's, it's not going to work. The warning is that this will lead you to hell. 
And I know it's a big, scary word, but it's true. This is the, not the path that Christ wants for you. But this is a stark and explicit reality that this life is not your own. This is not a life you, you get to create and mold by yourself. It's just not going to work. Our righteousness falls short of the standards set by God. But if a person is to accept this truth, he must realize that human righteousness is nothing when measured against the righteousness of God revealed in Jesus. And also human goodness, even at best, is polluted by sin. This life was bought and paid for by the blood through Christ's sacrifice and death. Whether you want to believe it or not, we are a created, dependent humanity, and life is only found at the feet of the cross where Jesus gave us new life. And if you know the hymn Rock of Ages, I absolutely, that's like one of my all-time favorite um, hymns and, and songs to sing because it so clearly paints our need for Christ. And my favorite verses in the song say this, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. And that's what we bring, right? We bring nothing. Like I said before, our life is not our own. And if we come to Christ with our laundry list of achievements or spiritual accomplishments or just good things, Jesus will probably, be, he'll probably just scoff at you. You know, I can't say that theologically. I don't really know what he would do. But I like to think, imagine he would. It's kind of funny. But if we deny ourselves and deny the things of this world and actually count them as literally nothing in comparison to knowing Christ, then we will see Christ more clearly every single day. Paul realized that to be righteous in Christ was fully contrary to seeking his own righteousness based on his own works of the law. In fact, he had to renounce his attempts to make himself right with God and instead rely on divine grace. And this is what we must do to see Christ. Realize the grace that is abundant and there for the taking. We are not one bit deserving of it, but it is given to us all the more because Christ lived and he died for us and so we can fully live for him in every aspect. I love how this uh, famous pastor, Alistair Begg, once said, Paul's motivation to live for Christ wasn't in his love for Christ, right? It was actually in Christ's love for him. This is what we must realize. We cannot do this life on our own. Christ gives us all that is necessary to live a life worthy of him because he loves us so dearly, right? This is not a life we can do on our own. We have, do not have the strength to do that. We do not have the, 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 the ability to do that. Only way we can do that is, is through Christ. And that's why we can see Christ in our lives. Still with me? All right, last point coming up. Number five. Let's continue to read in the rest of this chapter, and then we're going to get this uh, last point. We're going to read nine, verses 9 through 11, quick. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's pretty wordy, but great verses to end our night, right? Very hopeful language. And I want, I want to try to break these couple, these couple verses down just to make them more clear for what he's saying. And so saying being found in him, as it says in verse 9, means to be spiritually united with Christ. And therefore now, now not found guilty, 
before God as divine judge, right? Paul then goes on to talk about righteousness found in faith, in Christ, right? God imputes and he attributes Christ's lifelong record of perfect obedience to the person who trusts in him for salvation, right? This is the basis of justification by faith alone. Big word, but this is when we, one accepts Christ into their lives as their Savior. His righteousness, Jesus' righteousness is now theirs because Christ's death has atoned for that. And this is the basis of our faith, right? This is what our faith hinges on. The goal of trusting in Christ is to know him. That is to know Christ in a personal relationship and also know the power of his resurrection. And that's where we get our fifth point of the night, right? The fifth way we can see Christ is in eternity. In the scope and view of eternity, we can see Christ. And so far, um, our points have been we've had in suffering, in persecution, in who we are, in life, and now we have eternity. And all these things, we can see Christ. And this is not a final list, right? This is not an extensive or expansive list. These are definitely other, there are definitely other ways to see Christ. But I believe Paul is kind of hitting on the big ticket items of our faith, right? And he sort of summarizes all them down to these final verses, ending with the hope and excitement of eternal security. And so like I said, these two verses are pretty wordy, but I would love to break them down with what it kind of meant in the Greek sense, um, because it's really kind of cool how Paul writes this. Um, and so what does Paul mean by attain the resurrection from the dead? Well, there is a clue in the, in the Greek text. Um, the word resurrection in verse 11 differs from the word resurrection in verse 10. In verse 11, the word has a little uh, preposition in front of it. So the preposition ek E-K, which is equivalent to our word out. The word resurrection literally in Greek means to place or stand up. And to the Greek mind, living people were standing up. Dead people were lying down. So, making a Greek pun, Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that I might give the spiritually dead a preview of eternal life in action as I am standing up outstandingly among those who are spiritually dead. Pretty wordy, but here's another way someone else put it more elegantly. As I walk in your streets, as I walk into your homes, as I walk into your stores, and as I walk into your offices, as I mingle among the people, I want to be so living for Christ, so outstanding for him, that you can see that I am a living one, an eternal one among the dead ones. Is this your desire? Is this what you want? It, it should be, because this is what God's desire is for you. Paul was eternally secure in who he was because Christ, having suffered, having been persecuted, having died for us to show us who we are, having lived a life worthy of God, has given us eternity with God so that we can, may, can be bold to walk among the land of the dead. Isn't that just amazing news? Shouldn't that just stir you up? That we have a king that loves us so much that he would send his son to die a horrible and brutal death, but not stay dead and rise three days later and now sits at the right hand of God and offers us a relationship with him for eternity. And I always like to throw like a, like a practical advice out there, but have you ever thought about heaven, right? Have you ever thought about how sweet that will be and, and, and just how awesome that's just going to be but not to be too cryptic have you ever thought about those around you that maybe you're walking around that you see daily that they don't have this hope of eternity in heaven in them right have you ever thought about that what well, does that just stir you up to share this good news with them 
Because that's what Christ is calling us to do. And that's what this passage is all about. Seeking Christ, seeing truly what we have in him, that nothing in this world can break us down. No matter, no matter words can stop us. We do not need to have an identity crisis and wonder who we are because through Christ we have an eternal hope and we have an eternal reason for joy. We don't know our route to resurrection or to eternal life, right? Perhaps we will die as martyrs or simply of natural causes. Maybe Christ will return while we're still living and we will not experience physical death at all. Either way, if we trust in Jesus, we will be resurrected. And even now we share in Christ's resurrection power and by his spirit are able to resist temptation. This is Paul's goal from the, the passage, to express to us what is of most importance, that we may know Christ, that we may seek him with our whole heart. Yes, Paul is the poster child for this, and it can be convicting sometimes, and even sometimes annoying how much he talks about it, but truly, we must realize that everything we have in Christ is far better than anything we can have here on earth. And Paul clearly knew that and believed that. And here's the, the application for us. This, realize, this realization and change can happen to anyone, right? It's God's desire that everyone would know him and live for him. So for God does the revealing and changing, right? He can turn Saul into Paul. He can turn Simon into Peter the rock. He can turn John the son of thunder into John the evangelist. And he can turn you and whoever those around you, whatever and whoever you may be, into the kind of person whom Christ's holy and loving character may be seen. This is what we're called to do. To see Christ in everything and thus reflect him for those around us. Because we are living among the dead. We are the vibrant amongst the dull. We are the love among the evil because we have an eternal hope and glory waiting for us. And we have a resurrected king who loves you and cares for you. So we have every right to be optimistic and joyful in, every, in anything we face. We should be the lights in this world of distraction, and we should be eager for the day we get to stand before Christ in perfect unity. So let us walk boldly through this life with fervor and joy for the hope we have and to show others Christ as we continually seek him daily. Sound good? So Cody told me right before we started that you guys do uh, sort of a reflection after the sermon. And uh, so I love that, which is so cool. And the question I kind of came up with for our time of reflection, um, for the little time we have, um, is what are two to three kind of practical ways we can continue to seek Christ this next week, right? Whatever it may be, whatever it may, you know, less time on your phone, less time in, and more time in, in the word or more time in prayer. What are just two to three practical, easy ways you can just set goals for yourself in the next week. And with that, what are, who are two to three people you can think of that you're close enough to to have a conversation with? That's what Paul is calling us to do, right? To live our lives daily of the resurrection and, and the gift of, of Christ and to show that to others. So spend some time reflecting and we'll pray it out here later.
pray that you would bring to us the reality and the many ways that we can seek after Christ. Lord, I, I pray that you truly would reveal yourself to us as we seek you in suffering, persecution, as we see you in our very lives and how you've made us and who we are. Lord, that we would seek you in the life around us. And certainly, even as we prayed at the end of our time of worship, Lord, that we would seek you in eternity. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that transforms us. Thank you for the way it changes us, Lord, to be more like you, Jesus. And I pray that it continues to do so, Lord, and that you, in all your graciousness and goodness, would allow this ministry the blessing of helping him out. Thank you for Camden. Pray that he would travel home safely. Pray for his time speaking tomorrow to the freshman, Lord, that you would speak through him, that there would be those that do not know you, that come to know you as a means of being connected at this event, certainly through hearing about an identity they can have in you, Lord. Thank you for your word again. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.